Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The government considers a temporary eviction ban as winter looms. It's not an eviction ban per se, in the sense that evictions in Ireland happen on foot of court orders. Uh, it would be a moratorium uh, on affecting notices to terminate. The lady's not for turning up. British Prime Minister Liz Truss avoids urgent questions in the Commons on the troubled UK economy as pressure grows on her premiership. Where is the Prime Minister? Hiding away, dodging questions, scared of her own shadow. The lady's not for turning up. And Gardy and the GAA investigate an alleged assault on an under-9s player at a hurling blitz in Tipperary. We asked tonight, are parents putting too much pressure on their children playing sport? We'll join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight BMTV. Tonight, the former Sinn Féin councillor, Jonathan Dowdle, has been jailed for four years for his role in the Regency Hotel murder six years ago. His father, Patrick Dowdle, has been given a two-year sentence. Both had admitted helping a criminal gang attack a rival outfit at a boxing weigh-in at the Regency Hotel in Dublin in February 2016, during which David Byrne was murdered. Now, the government is considering a temporary eviction ban, as new data shows a record low of available rental properties. Tanshali of Radker confirmed today that the government was looking at the measure, which we understood was being discussed by coalition leaders tonight. As I understand it, it's not an eviction ban per se, in the sense that evictions in Ireland happen on foot of court orders. Uh, it would be a moratorium uh, on affecting notices to terminate. Uh, in certain circumstances. Most ministers haven't had a chance to see the proposal yet. Uh, it's really for him to explain it rather than me, but his proposal is, is, is that it would um, just be for the winter period, that it would um, be until the end of March and, and not be renewed at that point. Well, I'm joined by Government Chief Whip Jack Chambers, Sinn Féin TD Rose Conway Walsh, Executive Editor of the Irish Daily Mail John Lee, and finance and mortgage expert Keen Carolyn from Finance One Limited. You are all very welcome to the programme. I'm going to start with you, John Lee, because we know that meeting was taking place this evening. They were going to talk about the eviction ban, and it seems now they are going to go ahead with it. So what detail have you got for us? Um, we're told Craig Hughes has written a story for our paper tomorrow that um, the ban, the eviction ban, that's a ban on notices to quit, uh, will start on the 1st of November and continue to the end of March. Um, there will be some form of um, leeway so that there isn't a flood of um, notices to quit on the 31st of March. 
go on for about uh, about 10 weeks. And I understand, but Minister Chambers may expand mm. on a lot of this, that um, there'll be some facility whereby people who've already got a notice to quit, won't uh, that won't be enforced either. So up to now, and between now and the 1st of November. But, um, Was there widespread support for this within the coalition, all three parties in agreement? I, I, I didn't really feel great enthusiasm for Fine Gael. You know, the, um, there there are unintended consequences from this notice to quit. There, and there is, I think all ministers have voiced concern about the, the flood of departures of single operating landlords from the market. And this may, may make it more difficult for them. But there, it was felt with rising homelessness figures and with the coalition admitting themselves that their targets on completion of housing are not going to be met, that something had to be done. So nevertheless, it's going ahead. It will require the, the agreement of the three leaders. Hopefully this evening, I think there may have been a bit of a delay in their normal um, Monday night meeting because Micheál Martin was in Northern Ireland. But it is expected to go to Cabinet tomorrow if, oh, right. if everything passes um, um, and then go to the Dáil next week, I think. So we're expecting sign off on this tomorrow at Cabinet. Is that right, Jack? Yeah, I, I believe so. And um, as John said there, like, look, we are seeing from, even from my own constituency clinic's perspective, uh, we're seeing increasing numbers of people that are um, getting notices to quit. And I think as a government, we have to act. We have to protect people through the winter period and we have responsibility to do that. And from quarter one to quarter two, we had a 47% increase in notices to quit when it came to uh, the, the overall rental market. So I think it's impor it is important that we act. And that's why uh, Dara O'Brien has been engaging with the Attorney General now over the last number of weeks. Uh, and the proposal will see, um, uh, once we have enactment of the legislation, that's going to be accelerated through the Houses hopefully mm -hmm. next week. Um, and then from early November out to the end of March, um, we'll see a um, we'll see a a, a a temporary pause on the on the coming into effect of any notice to quit. And, and we also why did you think this was a good idea now? Why is now the right time for this? Well, it, because the data shows we've increasing numbers of notices to quit. We have to protect people. We cannot see uh, increasing increasing numbers of, of families. Uh, homeless or not being able to find a rental property through the winter period. Because we, you accept that if you were given a notice to quit now, you would struggle to find a rented accommodation. Oh, there, is, there, is a, there is an acute supply shortage. The data shows that. And that's why we have to protect people. We protected people during COVID. We have to protect people with the data that's there. And the government has, has a responsibility to do that. And that's why from a Fianna Fáil perspective, I welcome the fact that Minister O'Brien has had this engage, engaged with the Attorney General, that we've drafted proposals and we want to give that people that certainty uh, through the winter period uh, as well as accelerating housing supply through that uh, uh, period as well. Uh, will there be exceptions to this? Well look during Covid there were certain exceptions for example with antisocial behaviour and the tenant has to meet their obligations and that's a standard procedure and was similar during Covid uh, and that will apply again um, but this is to give people that certainty uh, through the winter period and also as John referenced there um, we can't have a cliff edge on the 1st of April either so it's to spread the um, the, say the, the, depending on the, the period that someone has been in a property to spread that out over a number of weeks if they've happened to be given a notice either now or during the, the period in which the, uh, the moratorium is in place. Okay, will it exclude defaulters? Dara Bryan will set that out in the primary legislation and in the scheme that he's outlining tomorrow. Do you think it should? Well, I think you know, we have to strike a balance um, and that's why there are obligations on tenants to pay. There's obligations on tenants around um, you know, antisocial behaviour and you, ha you have to strike a balance, but uh, that's for Minister O'Brien to set out.
Uh, Rose Conway Walsh, first of all, the, the length of time, the 1st of November until the 31st of March. Do you agree that's the correct period for this moratorium eviction ban to be in place? Well, it's an emergency measure to dealing with an emergency situation. And I know John refers to unintended consequences, and there may very well be. But the consequences of having over 11,000 people who are homeless, and I know Jack cites uh, certainty, but there isn't any certainty for those 11,000 people. And indeed, that doesn't capture the full extent of the homelessness if we look at women in women's refuges and others who are in unsuitable accommodation. So I, was, I welcome it. I think it should have been done a number of months ago. Um, it's it's on, on its own. Eviction bans uh, on its own aren't going to solve the problem. Obviously, we need uh, affordable and social housing, and that needs to be accelerated at a, at a very rapid rate. It is a sticking plaster. Isn't it? it is, but it, I suppose it's indicative of the fact that we have run into this situation. You know, we're in October, we're in a place where the weather is really bad, people are really fearful of being made more people are being fearful of being made homeless. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole deluge of people about to be made homeless and people are living in that fear. So uh, I welcome it even at this late stage, but it should have been done months ago. And, Is uh, there a danger it, here, um, Rose Conway Walsh, because critics will say that, look, it leads to a cliff edge at the end of the moratorium. I know I hear you, Jack Chambers, you're going to do something about that. Mm -hmm. But it could lead to a major rent arrears issue that people will just push out paying the rent until the end of March and then they're left with a big problem. Well, that could be an unintended consequence. But if people can afford to pay, the people who can afford to pay their rent should pay their rent. And indeed, as Jack said... And what if you can't? Are, what if you're saying today, I can't afford to pay this? But if you can't, if you can't afford to pay it, then you don't have the money to pay it. So that is a problem and that's why there needs to be some securities in there. That's why people need social and affordable housing. People need to be in houses that they can afford to pay the rent or to pay the mortgage on. And that's why we have such a big problem when we don't have the supply. All right. And that's why this government has failed in supplying the necessary housing well, that people need. That's, well look, Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin proposed in their pre-budget submission to actually put a 400 euro charge on small landlords, so in fact the situation would be a lot worse. You wanted to tax small landlords even more, Jack, Jack. Uh, which would actually accelerate and make this problem worse. So Jack, I think we, we have to be honest about our proposals. We, we have to be very honest. You, you're, you're you've been in government, Fine Gael have been in government years. for 11 years. For two years. And it's Sinn Féin's problem that we have a Sinn. housing crisis. No, I'm just it's saying, Sinn Féin's but it's problem. important. I think it's you really a, need to get real no, here. No, it's important to be honest. You know? no, I accept, I welcome We need any, to be very honest. I we need to be honest. All right, all right. If you keep talking over each other, nobody will hear what you're saying. I welcome constructive proposals from Sinn Féin or indeed any other party, but I don't think a constructive proposal in your pre-budget submission you said you'd, you'd impose a levy on small landlords, and would that help the, would that accelerate? It's a levy on small landlords, a levy on vacant uh, properties. But the 400 you know, you're, euro, you're the government. A 400 uh, no, euro levy. I really have to say this, Jack, you're the government that the real estate investment funds have got huge tax incentives from. Okay. What did you do in that you case to, to readdress the balance you're, 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 you're there? You're right, to increase inheritance tax on, on family homes. You want, you to, you want to impose... Deal with I, just, I just want to bring in Keen here, uh, Keen. Will this have an impact on the market, this unintended consequences that the housing minister was uh, talking about? And what are those consequences? I'd be a little bit concerned. Uh, I, I see it genuinely as a really um, well-intended um, move, but I think it'll have undoubted uh, unintended consequences that we all can foresee. And I think um, the market really does need the single um, house landlord. Um, we cannot afford to lose the private landlord out of the market. 
Um, it's another sticking plaster, another short-term move that, I mean, look, to be honest, the cost of living crisis is there for all to see, but the truth be told, the rental market has been highly dysfunctional for several years heretofore, and um, we cannot disincentivize landlords being in the market. We need private landlords in the market. And do you think market. this is a disincentive? Well, I think it removes a degree, like having not seen the proposal in any great detail, I'd be concerned that it creates um, a degree of unflexibility for the private landlord. Um, so if the landlord Who chooses... Who are leaving the market in their droves. They're already leaving the market due to kind of increasing interest rate environments. And to compound that with potentially losing the flexibility to be able to offload the property in that six-month window, I totally understand... Um, the good it's intended to do, but I think it's going to drive the very few private landlords we still have in this market out of the market. Okay, Jack Chambers, respond to that. This is just going to further drive landlords out of the market. Well, and we need why, these That's why I was making the point um, to Rose that the a proposal to put a €400 levy on them uh, wouldn't, wouldn't help... Wouldn't help uh, All right, would, would we're just going to deal with the, the eviction ban, it, which is so, definitely so happening. No, it, 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 look, it, we, have to, we have to address the, the trend, which is really concerning this year, where we've increasing numbers of notices to quit and we have an obligation to protect people through the winter period. There are other European countries that bring in similar measures uh, through a winter period. I think we have an obligation to protect people in a vulnerable situation, and that's what we're doing. I accept okay. the broader position that we need to examine measures, and that is under review by Minister Donoghue with Minister O'Brien around trying to stem the exodus of small landlords from the market. We need to have people... Apologies that, to cut across, Minister, yeah. but like tonight we have 98 properties available yeah. to rent under €2,000 in Dublin. No, I, I, and that, it's that, a frightening and statistic. It, it is, and, and, I, and I accept that that is, that is the factual mm. position, and that's why we have to further examine uh, other measures. Be, uh, and, and that is under consideration by Minister Dunhue and Minister O'Brien. And, and but I, this has been something that's been around for years. Yeah. This isn't a, a new story to anybody. And I mean, there um, were... Sorry to cut across you, Keane, uh, John, because there were proposals in the papers at the weekend, by all accounts, brand new Fine Gael proposals we're hearing about how to increase uh, housing stock. You might bring me through some of their ideas for when um, the Taunashu becomes the Taoiseach again in December. Well, these were raised the Fine Gael parliamentary party last week, but we also had a story um, on our front page on Sunday, which I wrote, that the government, there are concrete proposals for the government to step in now. One of the silver linings on the dark clouds of the economic problems we have ahead is that there is evidence data to show that a lot of the institutions, the funds, the pejorative phrase mm. vulture funds are pulling out and buying those blocks of apartments as an investment for their, for their funds. So the government is, has put together a plan to step in and buy those and distribute them to local authorities and allow local authorities then to provide um, affordable and maybe social uh, housing to people. That is a quick fix that we've a lot of us have been waiting to see. And I think the problem with the housing for all plan is the arc has been too has been too long. Firstly, it's been too it's 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 too long a wait for people to have their housing needs addressed now. And politically, Leo Varadkar's party are coming into to hold the position of Taoiseach in January. They will have to face a general election two two and a half years time. And they want with, to get to grips with, with this. housing, mm. as in the words of our president, a disaster. So yeah. something needs to be done on, on, on a short term level. And what we had last week also was Fine Gael making a few proposals. One of those was to hastily deal with derelict properties around the country, for instance. All right, Jack Chambers, are we now going to wait until December, the Taunashu becomes the Taoiseach and Fine Gael will come in 
and finally, radically overhaul uh, housing for all and do more to uh, increase the stock in the market. Well, one of the primary reasons Fianna Fáil entered government and Fianna Fáil members endorsed our party playing a role in government was, was because housing is the number one priority for us as a party. And, and that's why the Taoiseach, Leal Martin, ha, has um, led the way with my colleague, Minister O'Brien, on developing a multi-annually funded housing plan, four and a half billion euro per year. But we're hearing all these brand around, new ideas well, from Fine Gael. It, matters are under review um, when it comes to different policy considerations and implementing housing for all is something that's a core focus on government. There's no other document or proposal from any party or group uh, which matches the detail and the focus of housing for all. But we, we want to see delivery and that's why Dara O'Brien is you... taking measures when you take, for example, the €500 Euro tax credit for renters this, this side of Christmas and after Christmas, the, um, the, the over £1 billion of affordability right. measures uh, and a multi-annual annual funded plan. I accept that we strengthening delivery is a key focus through local authorities and other approved housing bodies. All right, and I that just is, want that to is just... an absolute focus of Fianna Fáil and government and is why it... Minister O'Brien is bringing forward proposals when it comes to the moratorium on... on, uh, on so these are all good Fianna Fáil ideas because we have James Lawless, James O'Connor, Paul McAuliffe, all of your Fianna Fáil colleagues saying uh, that Fine Gael putting out these proposals, leaking these proposals at the weekend, it's just Fine Gael playing complete politics with the issue of housing. Uh, I think James Lawless said, she told the Sunday Independent, spinning some kind of radical change of direction after the Christmas changeover smacks of playing politics. And it's not credible, spare me. What do you well, say to that? Well, look, um, all I'd say is the government is unified behind housing for all as a plan. Uh, we're working through as a collective of three parties in government uh, to protect people now through the winter mm. period. Uh, doesn't we, sound very unified and, there, does and, it? And, and, and look, no, I mean, as a party, we, we're absolutely sincere and focused on trying to, it's the number one issue for me as a TD and as a minister uh, and, and getting delivery on housing for all. Uh, is the number one priority for us. So we don't have to wait for Fine Gael to come back into the leadership, no? no. The, whole, the whole, whole of government is, is focused on this, isn't it? All right, there was just another uh, issue uh, this weekend and it was the Taoiseach uh, standing by his claim that Sinn Féin has now resorted to sending legal letters to other politicians in a bid, he says, to curtail public debate. Michael Martin was speaking on a trip to Belfast today. Here's what he had to say. One is a member of Ron PP. But others, others are, um, yeah. But I mean, in, in politics, um, you know, a lot, a lot has been said about us by, by Sinn Féin beyond anybody else, uh, and we haven't been out suing people or, or, or trying to shut down debate. They appear to be using the same law firm, um, and I'm not sure whether they are um, bearing the cost themselves. Uh, you know, certainly, if anyone from Fine Gael uh, decides to sue the media or sue another person, we say it's a matter for them. Uh, we don't advise people to do that, and we certainly don't pay any of their legal costs. All right, Rose Conway Walsh, the Taoiseach says Sinn Féin's suing a lot, it's having a chilling effect, and it's all part of a media management strategy. It's a load of nonsense. It's typical nonsensical nonsense that's coming from Michal Martin. And I mean, you know, I think most people can see through it. Uh, the defamation um, laws are there to protect people when people tell lies about them. 
I think Owen O'Brien that said it earlier on today, um, you know, if they want to stop that, then they stop telling lies. They stop writing things, they stop saying things that are absolute, absolute lies. I really think that the Taoiseach, in his few weeks that he remains in office, mm -hmm. needs to concentrate on, Jack said his number one priority was housing. Well, obviously his number one priority isn't housing. It's having a That's nonsensical... So That's just deflection, Rose. Like, it's, it's no, not, we, just, spoke, we spoke no, about All right, let's, no. let's let Jack Look, Chambers we, back we, in we here. Spoke, yeah. Yeah. We spoke about housing for the last, what, 10 or 15 minutes. We spoke you've been, about you've it. Been asked, you've, been, you've, you've been asked a legitimate question yeah. about the significant trend where Sinn Féin are trying to uh, silence those who raise oh, legitimate questions about them. Uh, and I think it's, you don't have to ask, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about what the Taoiseach said or Fianna Fáil. If somebody defends had, you, Jack, had, what had, do you do? No, but we had the index on censorship yeah. filed a media freedom alert to the Council of Europe on Mary Lou Macdonald suing RTE. We've got a serious trend now you're using the wealth of your party, the millions you've inherited from your, fr yeah, your friend he, overseas. To be honest, I think Sinn Féin have said that that's to, not true, that, that, that each individual within the party funds their own actions, that it's not the party. They're the wealthiest party in the state and they are taking on the media. Okay, let's roll back in there. Are you taking on the media or are you trying to stifle the debate here? Free and fair and independent. All right, let's uh, Jack Chambers. We've just left and Rose Hollywood to respond it's there. Closer to see, what we'd see, see in Putin's Russia or in yeah. China. So obviously uh, and, he's and been given his lines to come out and say, look, at it, the defamation laws are there to protect people when something wrong is said against them, when something okay. untrue. And there has said. been a number. You will accept and there has been a number of defamation actions. So there has been from Finnegan and Fiona as well. The trend is clear, Rose. The trend is very clear. Where's the trend in Fianna Fáil? Fianna Fáil just threatened it, and Finnegan threatened it, and then they realised it. It's a strategy. And in fairness, Jack, the teacher admitted he did get it wrong, didn't he, last week in the Doyle when it comes to whether or not Sinn Féin would be given sight of an interview. He was very clear that there is a chilling effect from No, did he get it wrong in the door last week, Jack? You're the whip. Did he get it wrong? Did he get it wrong? He was absolutely correct in saying the impact of Sinn Féin's media management strategy, the chilling effect that it's having. Media management strategy. He got it wrong. All right. You're suing anyone who questions you. Uh, and, and you have, you have a very, it's, it's, wrong, it's very worrying when it, when it comes no. to the... Uh, John Lee, I just want to go to you on this. Is there a different tact here from Fianna Fáil and how they're taking on Sinn Féin at the minute, do you think? Well, I think we're all missing the point here. You know, there's numerous studies um, being done on our defamation laws here. Mm. Um, it, the biggest impediment to the free press in this country are our archaic defamation laws. They, um, we cannot we cannot absorb the costs that it takes to fight a defamation law okay. power, um, uh, action. Powerful people use the defamation laws, and I think both representatives of the parties here should commit to reforming the defamation laws, All as right. this government said in March it would do before the end of this year. It okay. would bring legislation forward to deal with those laws. We're going to have to leave that issue there for now, but my thanks to Keen for coming into us this evening. The rest of the panel is staying with me. Next up, are parents putting too much pressure on their children playing sport? Do stay with us. You're very welcome back. Well, separate investigations are underway by Gardaí and the GAA into an alleged assault on a young player at an under-9s hurling event in County Tipperary. The GAA say it's investigating the incident. 
99.99% of, of the day was superb. This incident is very regrettable. And um, all we can do and say is that we will deal with it. And we certainly don't want to see this thing happening at all. And, and to be fair, most of the work done by our people is never, ever hit with issues like this. Well, Jack Chambers, Rose Conway Walsh and John Lee are still here with me. And I'm also joined now by Irish Times parenting journalist Jen Hogan and on Skype by former Monaghan footballer and columnist Dick Clark. And you're both very welcome to the programme. Uh, Jack, your reaction? Oh, well, look, we condemn any uh, type of abuse. and uh, the Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. The vi any violence on a pitch against a young person is just completely unacceptable and there needs to be... Uh, strong sanctions from the GA, and I obviously know that the relevant authorities are uh, conducting investigations. But we, I mean, I think everyone was shocked and just completely appalled that. that Were you shocked such, by this? Well, I think any type of assault, anyone laying a hand on a young person, a nine-year-old on a pitch, is just completely out of order, uh, and and it's not has no place in sport, uh, has no place uh, in any pitch across the country, regardless of the code. And that's why we need to see strong sanctions and follow through from all the investigating authorities. Uh, Jen Hogan, you have been a parent on a sideline for years. Were you surprised when you heard this? And it is an allegation at this yeah. point. We don't have any sort of facts yet. But were you surprised? Surprised that a parent went to a nine, went after a nine-year-old. Yeah, I suppose the age of the child is very hard to get your head around, or that the allegation is there that a parent attacked a nine-year-old. That's really, really hard to get your head around. That, that that kind of violence or that kind of aggression is present at, in our matches or is happening at children's sports, not hugely. Again, going back to the fact that it was an adult, it's just, it, it's impossible to get, nearly impossible to get your head around. 
but that we are seeing this on an ongoing basis. I mean, we know there's been problems with referees. We see at the sidelines, we see the players themselves. We've somehow managed to uh, confuse thuggery with passion. And we've somehow along the way, you know, justified behaviours because people feel very strongly about their sport, whether that's parents on the sidelines or coaches on the sidelines or children on the pitch. We've allowed this to happen, but it's a complete confusion of what's actually happening. And it's, it's, it's horrible to witness if you're there as a parent and witnessing it. But it's also, it's a terrible, terrible message that's going through to our children that it's acceptable at all in sport. Uh, I thought there was a policy of the silent sideline. I thought that had been introduced in the GAA for the matches involving younger children, the under eight or the under six. Does that just not happen? Is that not the reality on the ground? There's lots of talk about it, but but there's not much of it happening on the sidelines. I mean, there's a lot of positive encouragement too. I mean, you do certainly hear that positive encouragement coming from coaches and parents too. But there's plenty of negativity as well directed towards very young children on the pitch. And then passions burn over. Passions, sorry, thuggery then develops from that. But you have people getting far too highly wound up about a children's sport and far too aggressive, perhaps even in their reaction about a children's sport, sometimes shouting at children who aren't even their own children, bad enough to do it to their own children, but shouting about other children who perhaps aren't living up to their expectations. I think we've lost perspective hugely with children's sports. Um, is this just, do you think GA matches, is it predominantly GA matches? I'm, I haven't been on a sideline in a long time. My children aren't at this age uh, where they're partaking in sports, um, John, so I, I have no experience here. So is it specifically or predominantly GA or is it happening in other sports? Well, I can only go on personal experience. I played football into my 40s. I played Leinster Senior League and North Dublin Schoolboy League before that. And they were tough leagues. But there was a lot less going on in the sideline then. The mm-hmm. Times were different. Not as many parents attended the games. Now my daughter's under eights GAA. And um, as I said, that wasn't my game when I, was, when I was a kid. But there are a lot more people on the sidelines. There are a lot more voices. There are more coaches. So even a small kids game, which I think would all be very pleasant, has a lot of, uh, there's a lot of shouting goes on it. I have no, I've seen no violence there. But, um, you know, only watching sport, there seems to be only one high-profile game where players are still permitted to brawl on the pitch. And that's and those are Gaelic games. And Won't do you think this is a spillover out. from that? Well, clearly to me. Mm. You know, spillover soccer, from the adults game? 20 years ago, soccer ruled out all uh, hand to the face or any kind of violence. You'll never see a punch thrown in, in high-profile televised soccer. Rugby wiped it out 20 years ago, but, you know, from watching sport, I think there was a, there was a brawl between Dublin and Mayo players not so long ago. Dublin had been involved in a few um, brawls with, uh, with Tyrone as, as well. That's got to wash down into the, in, in, mm. into the game. Kids see this on TV and parents see it as well. So. Yeah, I just want to put that to Dick uh, Clerken. Dick, do you think that is part of the issue here, that some of the behaviours that we have seen, particularly in the adults' matches over the last number of years, that it is spilling down, it is influencing behaviour on the pitch and on the sidelines, whether it's parents or indeed uh, managers or coaches in the younger games? Good evening, Kira. Yeah, listen, I think it's, it's a cultural thing. That you know, when I'm in that space now, you know, you you can look forward to it in a few years' time. That you know, my kids and my boys are very much involved in 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 different sports, Gaelic games, hurling, soccer, golf, swimming, running. And and I was coming on here tonight not to be wearing the GA hat and defend, which I've done in the past here because you know there has been too many regrettable incidents over the last number of months, and this is a particular low point. 
But then I have to hear again to try and make this a GA only issue. And I can tell you as somebody that's involved in all these sports that it can't be anything further. But that's not to distract. It's not about what about right. Um, you know, watch you know, watch how the games that we watch at the weekends, be it the Premier League, every sport, how referees and players and those it's a cultural thing in sport that has now seeped down absolutely into children's levels. And as someone who's a coach and a parent, I'm very conscious of that now. And I, I've, I, I feel I'm checking myself now and you know, having a look at myself in terms of how do I conduct myself on the line? How do I want my players to conduct themselves? Because I, I do think there's a an issue there. Like I reflect back to when I started playing at eight nine. As someone mentioned there on the show, there was very few parents went to games. You were all thrown in the back of a high AS van. You went to play your game and you came back. Now the line and and, and the amount of parents are involved and the and the, and the noise and the the passion. That, that can boil over is, is 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 significant and that's growing year on year it's a very positive thing there's so many par- parents coming to support but yes you do now in all sports develop this sort of tinderbox atmospheric games unfortunately and it is not surprising to hear these events happening because I've, I've been in them I've seen them I've witnessed them and it doesn't take much for somebody just to have this sort of as they would almost call it after the event this outer, outer body experience that they will regret but it happens because the, the tension is regrettably much more than it should be. And and just to remember, that game that we're referencing, that was an under nine goal games. That's non-competitive. They don't even keep the score. That that happened there, that 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 really shows you that we do have an issue that we have to have to acknowledge and we have to address. Just I know you say it happens in all sports, but Dick either those incidents just aren't making the paper or it happens more frequently in the GAA, unfortunately, because I don't find myself talking about other incidents. Is it just that the attention's on that game now, do you think, unfairly? No, it's not. It makes the headlines. Like, you know, we're not ignoring it, and and, and getting into what about he doesn't really add any and add anything. I think at this stage of the GA, as Larry McCarthy rightly has done this week, he has taken leadership. He stepped up. He's recognised it. We're, we have to own it. Let other people deal with their own house. Okay, the GA, as I said, is the largest sporting organisation in the country. Has to show leadership on this. You know, we're rightly held to account when things happen at our games and they come up on shows like this. Um, it's not about trying to cast the light like politicians might try to do at, at the crowd across the across the way. This is about dealing with their own situation. These are really, really bad instances and really regrettable because it does take away from so much good. Like we're at the end of the goal game seasons now and, and those clubs and thoroughness and across the country will look at this really regrettable that it, 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 this is what we're talking about. Um, but put this it, back it happens to the- and we have to deal with it. Put this back to the panel. Sorry to cut across you, uh, Dick. I think there's a bit of a delay mm-hmm. on the line there. Um, Rose, I'm just picking up on something also that, that Jen said at the beginning of this segment. Do we need to sort of have a rethink about what we want when we ask our children if they want to partake in sports? We have to make sport a safe place for, for children to take part in. And what we need to be careful of is that we don't normalise these kind of behaviours. But there's a personal responsibility as well. If somebody feels that they cannot go to a football match or whatever other match it is and control their behaviour, then they need to stay at home. And there needs to be extreme and very severe sanctions for those who uh, who commit violent acts. I mean, I'm not commenting on the individual um, uh, case no, that we're we talking talked about, about tonight because we don't know the, de- the details sport. of it. But I've seen it. I've seen it on the sidelines, screaming and roaring abuse at kids and screaming and roaring. That is not the way that people should behave. They, they but do you think you're saying, Jen, that we have 
changed our expectations of sport, that we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we want from sport for our children? Well, certainly, I mean, I wrote about this in the papers or in the Irish Times last week and we were talking about um, exclusion in underage sport and the fact that there's, there's children sitting on the sidelines not actually getting the opportunity to play, play in the actual game because for the coaches, winning is more important. And if that's more important for the coaches and more important for the parents, where is the best interest of children coming into it? Like, where are we looking at it? Success in sport is surely having as many children involved for as long as possible. Not making about winning purely. Yes, everybody wants to win. That's well, that's a bonus if you win. But it shouldn't just be about that. And it certainly shouldn't be at all costs. Not, and certainly but, not I suppose some people will argue, Jen, you know, this builds resilience. But it this doesn't. is preparing you for real life. You don't win, it, you that, lose sometimes. That, that's, no. That's not how resilience no, works, no. though, Kira. That, like, I mean, destroying I don't necessarily believe that. that. Like we know As somebody who sat in the sidelines for years. Like participation sport is strengthened by by keeping the, the number, the pool of players as, as large and as big as possible right through, right into the teenage years. And in fact, some of the players who start on the sideline are often the ones that are lining out at an inter-county level. So I think there, for some coaches, it's very short-sighted. It's all about winning. Um, but it is about coach education and a, at a club level, having that cultural reset. So that yeah, is so about participation what... and about focusing on, uh, you know, per, on, on, on growing numbers. And, and they're the successful So what's the clubs. change that you want to see? Well, I think history? that cultural reset at a club level, in fairness, Larry McCarthy was very strong in this last week when it he came was. to referees. Uh, but we need to see that from uh, spectators through to the people playing themselves so that we don't see violence on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then the, the coaches on the sideline as well. And clubs that are progressive coaching systems that have good coach education have, have bigger numbers right through and don't see that level of uh, attrition at teenage years, which, which is yeah. a concern. So I think where, where participation is the number one focus, you get a better club and a more positive environment yeah. and that's fun for everyone involved. All right. But, but where, where, where there's this short-sighted winning uh, at all costs, that's where we see the spillover that mm-hmm. Jen referenced. Okay, look, we're going to have to uh, leave it there. But my thanks to Dick and to Jen uh, for coming in to me this evening. The others are staying with me because after the break, well, turmoil, is that the understatement of the day? Turmoil continues for Liz Truss and the Tories. Stay with us. You're very welcome back. Well, just referring back to our earlier discussion, Sinn Féin has issued a statement to us tonight saying the party does not fund defamation cases. Now, moving on, Liz Truss has been in power for just over 40 days, but it is now an open conversation about when she will go. Today was another disastrous day. It began with her new Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, ripping her economic plans to absolute shreds, reversing nearly all of her mini-budget. The opposition Labour Party were then given an urgent question, a chance for Liz Truss to explain herself. She didn't show up for it. Where is the Prime Minister? Hiding away, dodging questions, scared of her own shadow. The lady's not for turning up. The PM is detained on urgent business. Well, she eventually made an appearance sitting behind Jeremy Hunt as he justified cutting her economic plans to pieces. Tonight, she is hanging on by a thread as members of her own party try to work out what to do next. However, she told the BBC tonight that she will lead her party into the next election. Well, earlier I spoke to Lucy Fisher from Times Radio in the UK about the continuing political turmoil there for Liz Truss and the Tories. 
Well, it's been a very tense and febrile day in the House of Commons. Um, I've spoken to a number of uh, MPs and ministers, and truly this evening, the view seems very mixed to my mind, particularly about Liz Truss's future as Prime Minister. I think that there is consensus that Jeremy Hunt, her new Chancellor, put in a very assured performance today. He has... Um, worked um, fast to try and reassure the markets. The early signs seem to be that that's worked. Uh, the, the cost of UK government borrowing has gone down uh, since his statement this morning, and uh, the pound has rallied slightly against the dollar. However, I think that there's a lot of consternation that Liz Truss didn't come to the Commons herself to answer an urgent question from the Labour Party. Instead, she fielded Penny Morden, the Commons leader, and very much people concerned about, within the party, concerned about what the point of her is now that um, Jeremy Hunt, her new chancellor, has basically taken a wrecking ball to her economic vision, peeling back almost all her tax cuts and warning that there are very tough times ahead with potential cuts to come. Yeah, so if trustonomics are no more, as you say, the question is, what is the point of Liz Trust? Are you getting a feeling now that there are plans afoot to ouster, and are they coming from senior ranks within the Conservative Party, perhaps resignations from cabinet ministers? I know that was um, spoken about at one point today. Well, certainly in the parliamentary party, there is some very strong feeling and certainly plotting going on to try and ouster. I've spoken to MPs this evening who described the, the situation as awful. Others saying, you know, she's not long for this world, politically speaking. The only question now is uh, the mechanism by which she can be forced out. I think there is... Uh, a sense that because she is a new leader and the party rules are such that you can't call a formal confidence vote in a new leader within the first 12 months of them serving, it won't be the same mechanism that did for Boris Johnson. I think what people are looking at now is perhaps a panel of greybeards or Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922, being prevailed upon to try and persuade her to leave of her own volition. That's if Graham Brady, you know, takes soundings and really gets a sense that it is a significant majority view within the parliamentary party. There are those, and I must stress this, who think, well, she's probably done enough today to shore herself up for the short term. One minister said to me, look, I think she's calmed the situation enough to take her to Halloween, the end of this month, when we're going to hear more detail from Jeremy Hunt on the medium term fiscal plan from this government. Longer term, really, she has to turn around the polls, I think. That's the, the key thing, the key task, and it won't be that easy for her. But tonight, the situation still feels very uncertain for her in the next month or two. I mean, she has obviously lost the support of the party. Has she completely lost the support of the public too, do you think? I mean, they've been left in this sort of unenviable position now. OK, markets have been steadied, but no promised tax cuts, no benefits that they were hoping for, and yet higher interest rates. Yeah, I think that there is a, a feeling of uh, anger in the public that's been reflected in the polling. I was struck by uh, a Savanta Comrades poll last Friday that said that 71% of the public felt that it was now impossible for Liz Truss to regain their trust.
I think it will be very difficult for Liz Truss um, to try and win over public support, given the, the chaos of recent weeks, the promises that have been unpicked today, and the fact that even though there's been the reversal of many measures, the situation has been made worse in the meantime by the rate, uh, interest rate rise that it has precipitated. OK, we'll leave it there. Lucy Fisher, thank you for taking the time to speak to us this evening. Thanks for having me. Jack, Rose and John are still here with me to discuss these extraordinary political developments in London. Jack Chambers, I'm just wondering, are you watching this like the rest of us with your mouth open? Look, it's, it's so volatile and destabilising. I suppose what it concerns me is just the, the impact it has on, on Ireland from a north-south perspective as well. Um, but also the Irish economy. Uh, we're obviously the large trading partner of Ireland and to see the impact it could have on exports and our, our, own, uh, our own economy is very concerning. But it, it also demonstrates that when, when you've got simplistic economics uh, proposals that around cutting taxes and massively increasing expenditure, uh, that can have a very significant impact on your ability to borrow. Uh, and that's why prudent economic management is really important and something we all need to be reminded of here when it comes to proposals that come from different parties, that you need to have a strong economy that's well-managed. Who are you that, directing that high, comment high at? level of employment. Well, so I, I, the, so I, the party I, I think, that bankrupt the country I, and brought in the think, IMF? I, well, I think, I think um, look, you know, Rose, you, you know, your, your party proposed to abolish many taxes, massively increased expenditure. And we shouldn't, take, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't take our enterprise economy for granted. Two and a half million people employed. And that gives us the ability to invest in housing, in health and respond on the, in the cost right. of living crisis. And I think there are similarities, yeah. in fact, between, you, okay, let me let yeah. between, 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 between Quasi-Karteng and, and if, Sinn Féin's if, if policies. If you would just let me talk, I mean, Sinn Féin being compared to the Tories, Rose, yes, can we watch? Yes, I mean, you could, see, you could see today, to you could see today, you could see today what was happening. The IMF were right there on the verge. Now, Fianna Fáil let them into this country and, and caused them to come into this country. But it was just right. stopped short in, in terms of the farce that was there. But there are very serious implications for the North, obviously, for the institutions, for the EU, but also for the diaspora living in, in Britain as well, the Irish diaspora. And many people, Irish people I talk to in Britain, are very, very concerned about the impact this, all this has on them. Uh what about Liz Truss herself? I mean, I was conscious today looking at her. She wasn't there to take the questions. The commentary online mm. was, was really vicious mm. now all mm. day from respected political commentators mm. Uh, mm. about Liz Truss, about her personality and her politics. Mm. I mean, it's a savage mm. place for her to be in too, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. But she, I mean, she has invited on herself. I mean, she went to give super you know, tax incentives to the to the extreme wealthy and the, the policies that she brought forward and what her behaviour has been absolutely crazy in the last... I mean, Edwina Curry, I heard her describe her earlier as a, a, a lame duck with one leg. You know, you just couldn't make up the type of economics. Leave the politics out of it even. How she thought she was going to achieve growth uh, with the, the economic policies she had were just... Bizarre. And yet, and yet, John Lee, what I don't hear said a lot in the UK at the moment is that Conservative politicians who had a chance to vote for a new Prime Minister, they chose this trust. There were other options well, and there were people saying that her economics, now I know the money budget went further, but that her economics and her economic plan would be bonkers and would result in this. Well, they voted her in. I, it was the Conservative membership that voted her in. She, mm. she actually didn't win uh, any of the rounds when it came to um, gaining support from the MPs. Rishi Sunak was, was, was the popular choice of the, of, of the MPs. And this throws light, and I've heard quite a few commentators 
um, speak of the process for electing a leader in the Tory party that um, Rory Stewart was speaking about it last week on a podcast with uh, Alistair Campbell, where he said MPs know the person they're dealing with. They've watched them over a period of years. And if they'd watched um, Liz uh, Truss and, and some of her supporters up close, they would have felt that she wasn't a suitable prime minister. And we're finding that out now. Uh, does she make a mistake today by not going in and taking that question from Labour and letting Penny Mordaunt... I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had, I suppose, around Penny Mordaunt and her performance. It was quite assured. She was just loyal enough. I mean, was she auditioning for the role and was that a mistake by Liz Truss to allow that to happen? Well, there's history there, a very riven um, party. But it appears that Liz Truss had been called in by Graham Brady, the head of the, the chairman of the 1922 committee, to tell her to go. And she was absorbing that uh, ultimatum as she sat there in the Commons. And that's why she couldn't take the question. Um, now it's a question of how, how long she stays. I don't really see her more than a couple of weeks at this stage. Do you think she'll fight on, Jack? I, I'm sure she's going to try, but it, it, um, look, it, it, there's, there's a huge amount of infighting within the Conservatives and it's, it's unclear. I mean, it's just having such a destabilising mm -hmm. impact on their economy and their body politic. It's unclear what will happen. It seems to be day-to-day -day, uh, coverage, as John mentioned. Of, uh, it's no, hour no, by no, hour. No, Day-to-day no, <laughs> day at this stage. Hour by hour and, and uh, who knows, but it's, it's very uncertain. But from a political point of view, and I know politicians are so reluctant to give any commentary on um, UK politics, but let's say it was your party. What would you do at this stage? Would you cut your losses, tell her to go, bring in somebody else, call an election? What would you do? Well, I, I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure she'd have been selected in the first place when you look at the policies she proposed. Um, I, I mean, and she implemented them and then and I was removed the Chancellor who's doing something very different to what she'd originally intended. It's just very dysfunctional, very contradictory and, um, and, and as, as you said, who, who knows what's to come. All right. Uh, how long do you give her, Rose? Well, that's not a betting woman, but I, it really, I think her, her, her position is, is untenable. I think she will be encouraged to depart. But let's see. What John, happens. Halloween before. Well, she's Prime Minister's questions Wednesday, and if she if she if she feels she can endure that, she might last till Wednesday. Otherwise, she'll be gone tomorrow, honey. Yeah. We will all watch with bated breath. That's it from us. Thank you to all of my guests this evening. That's it from the late team here. Good night and do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.